Um, okay, so this is something I have a little bit of experience in. Uh, did you know I've done some videos on this before? Okay, so on my website, I really, if, so the, here's the question. The question is, can a community of believers on like a farm work rather than just a family of believers? Is that right? Um, so my, my quick answer is no, and I'll tell you why. And I have uh, two videos, it's a series, on my website, newtotora.com. If you're interested in starting a community, um, I don't think a community is wrong. I think there's some good ways to do a community. However, I think sharing property, sharing possessions, the book of Acts, in my opinion, has been taken way out of context in that. Uh, so there's some verses in there. And so I go through that in my two videos on my website, newtotora.com. I have a series on, it's called Building Community. Okay, Building a Torah Community. Um, I did that. I lived almost on a year, for a year on a community. It ended in disaster. Um, and, and for a number of reasons why I go into in that video series. So what I'd recommend is, you know, watch that. It gives you my experience. And also when I got out of that community, I did more research on, you know, well, how is this supposed to work? Because I was greatly confused. I mean, why, you know, and so I, I realized that almost every single community that this is started like this fails. There's a few that do last. There's some atheist communities, and there's some even Christian. No, no I'm serious. In America, there's a few number of atheist communities. Um, but there, there's even some Christian communities, and there's even one Torah community I know about that has continued on for years. The issue is, the, only, the thing they all have in common is high turnover. Okay, People come in, they stay for a while, and then they go because they don't like it. Even leadership. It, the, there's one called the White Rabbit in Missouri, it's an atheist community, and they, um, you know, very non-religious, and even their leadership has gone over the years. The people who started that community are no longer living on that community. It has very high turnover, and so if you're interested, because everyone thinks it'd be great, you come together for the feast, you come together for Sukkot, and you're like, man, I wish we could do this all the time. I wish we had this togetherness all the time, and people start talking about communities. Guys, if you read the Torah, each man has his own property. Each man has his own inheritance. You know, every, every man needs to be king of his own castle, okay? And so when you take that away or if you share things and you hold all things in common, it's good to make sure that you share things so that no man has need. But it doesn't mean you resort to communism, so to speak, okay? That does never ends in, in a good way, you know? so. Watch that video series, please, if you're interested, and it gives you a whole lot more detail. I think it's like two hours long in total. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. Right, you look in the book of Acts. Right, so the, the question is, what about the New Testament believers? Because in the book of Acts, it, it's very clear. They, sh they shared all things in common so that no man had need, and they sold of their possessions. Well, it says they sold of their possessions. It never says they sold all of their possessions. These, had, these people had extra. So as we inventory our lives and we see, you know, we, we've come to the understanding that we're to love people and make sure that we provide, help provide people. That's what Torah is, love your neighbors yourself. I look at some of the things when I came to this, this time in my life, I'm like, I have all this stuff, I don't need this. I'm gonna sell it and give it away. I'm gonna provide for my brother's need because it's, it, why would I keep all this junk? It's just stuff and it's just stuff in my life and it's valuable stuff to other people, so sell it, and then give my brother what he needs, if he needs a new car, if he needs his electric bill paid, he needs a new pair of shoes, he needs whatever, so that no man has need. But it doesn't mean that I sell my house, I give it to a pastor or a leader, 
and then we all live un- under a new house all together, and you know, someone makes the rules of how I live my life and live my family's life internally in my house. Okay? Please watch the video. I go into detail on those verses, and I, and I explain, you know, I give you my own experience. So if you're interested in community, watch those videos. It's on newtotorah.com. There's a big banner on there because I, it's very important because I know a lot of people are exploring this. And I, we, lost, we lost a lot of money, and it was a horrible experience for my family that still has scars on our family today. So um, I, I'd urge you to watch that if you're interested. Okay. Well, I think um, if I understand this correctly, you're saying what is my understanding on community living. Yes. Um, I didn't speak about community living. I spoke about a community or a fellowship that you go to to study Torah or to uh, be an assembly where you come together and where you as a people learn more about the word of Elohim and how to conduct your your life, your living out Torah. That was the community that I spoke about. Not a farm or a property where a community lives together. It's a community of believers that on a weekly basis come together in order to study Torah, in order to study a way of life, of living it out as Torah believing or observant believers as how to live it out. That's, that's, my, um, that's my study on how that should function properly in order that the order of Elohim is established within that community. And I think I mentioned about the bench of three or five or seven or nine men. Now, um, that's a study on its own taken from, from the Old Testament and the New Testament of um, if you take it two or three or say three or, or five or seven men and then the woman who represents the woman in order that that community of believers um, is run according to the order of Elohim as set out in his word. Uh, that was what I was referring to and that the community and each one that comes to that community has the covering and has the guidance and has everything that they need concerning living their life and the operating in the gifts and all of, of those things that people ask. So that's a community of believers not living on a property as community. That, that's the kind of community I could support and that's, the, that's what I'm trying to build where I live. You know, we're trying to have this community like she described, absolutely. Now, and within that community, one at least should have a shepherd's heart. For me, one of the men or the bench of three or five or seven or how many men must have a shepherd's heart in order to lead the sheep, so to speak, to lead the, the, the flock. So, And the other can be in a prophetic or the other can be in an apostolic or whatever evangelistic capacity. And then there will be a woman that will represent the woman. So if the men have any issues with the, with the woman, the way they dress or the way they act or the way they speak or react, then they, this woman will they go to her and she will address it with, uh, you know, the men will address it with her. And so it will function in a wonderful way. And um, within our community or the communities that I've been that function in that manner, it's absolutely astounding of the growth, the protection, the covering, everything that is needed within that community. We can live out 
our calling uh, within the community and within the larger community in the town or the city that we are in and in the world if, if we are sent out once, that they can bless us, they can send us out in order to be able to minister. Does that answer your question? Right, so the question was, uh, have I ever seen a limb restored or an eye restored? Or So um, personally, no, I haven't seen a, a, a limb restored before. I have seen death ears open. I have seen um, blind eyes open in terms of someone born blind. Um, I haven't seen a limb being restored yet, but I don't think we should be limiting or, or, or saving. The, the, the bigger, I think the reason why not is because we don't seek and we don't pray for that. Again, favor is an action. And so if we want to see something like that, we need to be taking actions towards that. You're never going to see the dead raise if you never go to see the dead raise, right? Um, so... No, I haven't, and it's probably because of my unbelief, and I think it's a good conviction for everyone here, including myself. <laughs> um, so yeah. I hope that answers your question. Cool. All right, yeah, so his question was, you know, I've been taught, when we talked about the blessing of the Holy Spirit, we talked about these groups who, who maybe it seems like they're preaching another Jesus um, by the the doctrine or whatever and but they may be doing things in the spirit and empowered by the holy spirit such as casting out a demon for example and how do we deal deal with that now yeah there's a, it's a very thank you for bringing it up it's a good question because you know there's there's a big difference i wasn't necessarily saying that we shouldn't be addressing the truth issue in their lives but rather that we should not call the work of the holy spirit a work of a demon or the work of a clean holy pure spirit that casts out an unclean spirit actually an unclean spirit casting out an unclean spirit because see that's the issue so so going to the person and saying, hey man, you know, you're, not, you're teaching the commandments are abolished, that's ridiculous, it's demonic, that's not of the Father, and it isn't, and that's totally fine, because the Holy Spirit would never teach the commandments of God are abolished, right? We know that. So um, the only danger really that, that we need to worry about in that whole thing is only, for example, when a demon is cast out, which is a clear, true, easy to discern thing, and recognize that is not a demon doing it, Okay. Because the big thing is, is we're called, we don't know what is holy and profane. We're calling the holy profane if we call the Holy Spirit an unclean spirit. If we say that it's a demon casting out a demon. So that was the issue. Just one last thing to add on that. I mean, the, the Yeshua said, you know, it's, oh, you can blaspheme the Son of God, you might be forgiven. But the Spirit of God, if you blaspheme Him, you, you won't be forgiven other in this life or in the next. And I want to submit to you, I think one of the reasons for that is, is because the Holy Spirit was assigned to be the witness of our age to, to, the, to the world. And so if we, the, we need to ask the question, why is this Kundalini Spirit out there? What is the reason, the objective of it? The objective is not primarily to simply oppress people. I want to submit the objective is to destroy the image of the Holy Spirit. So that those who see the Kundalini spirit then start labeling the work of the Kundalini spirit as a work of the, as, they start getting confused between the two. And then actually become, we, we see this weird stuff going on in churches and we're like, oh, we don't want anything to do with that stuff. And then we don't even want anything to do with the Holy Spirit anymore because, you know, the Holy Spirit sometimes also does supernatural things. 
but there's a difference in fruit as we've discussed. Okay, I hope that answers. Okay, cool. So she asked about speaking in tongues, what I think of it, and kind of a lot of, uh, you know, I think, I think this is a huge thing. I mean, it's the most controversial spiritual gift on that list. And um, so I want you guys to, before I even answer this, go to the Father with this thing and ask the Father about this. I'll tell you just my just in a, one minute what happened with me. I, uh, I didn't uh, know about this. I wasn't growing up in the charismatic church. I wasn't even exposed to any form of speaking in tongues, really. I've heard it before once, and I was like, whoa, this is weird. You know, it, it just sounds like when, the, the, and I'm talking about in a fellowship where there's that, well, I guess what you would say, the rambling. Okay. Um, right, so the, the, the Apostle Paul, he speaks a lot about it. And, he, and he speak, he, he, if you go read his letter very, very, very carefully, you'll see he it seems like he's contradicting himself. Because he seems to see, say that, first he says, oh, don't you know that he, he makes the whole comparison between speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. And he says it's better to speak and to prophesy because in a fellowship people will understand what you're saying. But if you're speaking in tongues, no one understands what you're saying. So what's the use? And he's basically talking against a lot of what we see today in our churches where it's this rambling that goes on in a church. No one understands what's going on. And if an unbeliever was to come in there, they would probably think that you're crazy. But if you read a little bit on, he says, speaking in tongues is a sign for the unbeliever. <laughs> and that's a con that seems like a contradiction. And, um, and so what, is, what really is, is, we need to understand this, right? If you, if the people he was writing to understood the gift, Okay, they were practicing it in some form, at least. Maybe incorrectly, but they were practicing it. And so us, if we come to his writings and we read it from this weird, we're going to misinterpret what Paul says, like Peter said. Hey, watch out for Paul's writings. You might misinterpret it, just like with the Torah, with the spiritual things too. So the truth behind the matter is, and what I've discovered, is um, why it seems so um, weird what Paul is speaking about, because he says it's not for the unbeliever, they're going to think you're crazy, but then he says it's a sign for the unbeliever. He's talking about two manifestations of the same gift. Okay, so speaking in tongues is both a personal prayer language where we read Paul say that uh, a, a man speaks to God for, he says it's between a man and God for no one understands him, is what he says first. And so if no one understands him, then he's obviously not speaking, if no one understands, he's not speaking about a foreign language thing because someone needs to understand that. That's, so the first thing that the, the gift of, of tongues is that there is, a, there is a manifestation of the spirit that can happen where people do speak in the tongues and it sounds weird. It does. Why does it sound weird? Because our flesh hates spiritual things. Our carnality doesn't like praying. It doesn't like praying for people. It doesn't like any of that stuff. And when we hear praying in tongues, we don't like that either. And so that, there's one manifestation of that. What happened with, with me, I'm just going to make an example. I was really in confusion about this matter. wasn't sure what to believe. What, what is this? I was one day in my room and I sorted out. I said, for, well, for a few months I've been seeking. I said, Lord, I want this. I don't know how it works, but I want it. I was praying. I was sitting in my, uh, by my bedside. I was praying. And, and, the, and I just heard him follow my spirit to Father say, you have it. Just speak. And I'm like, what? You know, but I didn't think. And I just spoke. And no one taught me to. No one prayed for me to receive it. No one forced me to. None of that. 
I didn't get any influence out from outside or from any church or anyone. But the Holy Spirit came, and for the next hour, I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me, and I uttered in, in a strange language, okay? Personally, between me and God, no one else was there. Uh, the first thing that happened after that took place is the enemy came and said, oh, man, you're just babbling. Just like at the Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? Holy Spirit was poured out. They spoke in different languages, and the people said, these people are drunk. Why? Because there's obviously people who, who didn't, under, because not everyone interpret, can always interpret what is being said in, in, in tongues. Okay, anyway, excuse me, I'm almost finished. And so um, I, was, I was unsure, and I was still unsure. The enemy came with that lie. Are oh, you just babbling? And what happened next is a few months later, we have this video on, my, on our YouTube channel. We went to a black church. There was a lot of witchcraft in the church, and we baptized a lot of people. It was an amazing day. And every single person who hit the water came up manifesting a demon. It was, it was a crazy thing, really amazing. And I didn't know what to do with it. I was really new at that. I was like, what do I do about this? And all I could think of was that day when I was sitting by my bedside praying to the Father. I didn't know what to pray in this situation. But I knew that, hey, this, I think maybe the Spirit was praying through me. And I prayed in tongues. And when I opened my mouth and I prayed in tongues, it was like fire falling upon these demons. I w they were coming out like this. Crazy. Within a minute, within minutes, demons were coming out of people. Over 25 people. Like, one after another. And after that time, I, I realized that there is something more to this gift. It is not just the traditional Protestant teaching, traditional teaching in many cases of speaking a foreign language. That's part of it. I know Zach, he told us a story. Um, and I've also had heard stories of that where there's also missionaries who are going to foreign countries. They pray for someone and then the guy understood what he was saying. I want to challenge you guys with this. If God came to you and he said, oh, you do have the gift of tongues. Okay, let's, you have it. There you go. You've got it. You're a missionary. You're in a foreign country. You really need to exercise this gift. It would be handy. How are you practically going to do it? You're facing a guy. He's speaking Spanish or whatever. How are you practically going to speak in tongues to this guy? It is not by speaking Afrikaans that it happens. It, it's not. What happens when we speak in tongues is a lot of times, and I've seen this, when I prayed for those against those demons, my language changed. I don't know how to explain it, okay? But that's how it works. And so you'll be, I have a friend, he went to a foreign country, I know him personally, he uh, prayed for uh, a guy who, um, uh, uh, who wasn't, he had an interpreter usually, but the interpreter was gone, wasn't there. This other guy was here, he couldn't talk his language, and he just, he just prayed. He said, I don't know, I, they really struggled to kind of communicate. He's like, I don't know what to do, I'm just going to pray for you, kind of thing, you know. And he prayed for him, and he spoke, he prayed for him in his personal prayer language, that he, just between him and God, usually. And when he was done, the guy started, was crying, and he's like, well, why, why are you crying? He's like, I understand. And, and we, he realized he understood every single word he was saying. Okay. And so there's, there's, there's a few cases of this. It's, it's, I think, something that we need to strive to exercise more, but... um. So there's two elements of this. As with anything, you need to, um, you, for as with any gift, you need to put an action towards it. You can't just, uh, uh, to, to exercise healing, you need to go, go out there and pray for someone. If you want to exercise the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, you need to go out there and exercise it. It's not just this random thing that happens out of nowhere. It's, it's a gift that can be exercised through action. Okay. So 
I know there's probably a few guys who don't agree with me, and that's totally fine. I want you guys to go to the Father with this thing and ask him, what is the truth? Because there's been a lot of lies around the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And we really need to uh, just come humbly before the Father for the truth. All right. I hope that answers your question. So the question is, do we still celebrate birthdays? <clears throat> I'm not big on birthdays. My family's just really not big on birthdays. But I've done videos on this. Um, and Hanukkah is quickly approaching. So is the difference between Moedim, Moed, appointed times by God, and Mishteh? A Mishteh is a celebration, a man-made celebration. It's not wrong, okay? What's wrong are man-made celebrations, celebrations in worship to other gods. That's wrong, okay? When you have a birthday, you're celebrating the day of your birth. Okay, there's nothing pagan about that. Oh, you know, gifts, I mean, you know, birthday cakes, presents, all that stuff. I, I don't know if, I mean, I can't say that. There's nothing in Scripture about giving someone a gift, okay? There's lots of Scriptures about loving other people, especially your family. So that's what they do usually, your friends and family. They give you a gift. They appreciate you. You know, they love you. Um, but weddings, military victories, and there's one other one. But you see these all throughout Scripture. Isaac we, uh, Abraham weaned Isaac, and he had a mishteh. It was a celebration, okay? It was a man-made celebration for his baby being weaned. You know, weddings too. You know, weddings, you have a mishteh. It's a man-made celebration, and every year after that, you celebrate the anniversary of that celebration of two people coming together being made one in the flesh, right? So um, birthdays... We have Thanksgiving we just had, you know, Hanukkah coming up. These, there's nothing wrong with a man. Hanukkah is all about celebrating a military victory over the Greeks. That's all it is. It's, it's like the Jewish 4th of July. We do that in my, in, in my country. We celebrate the 4th of July. It was celebration of victory over the British, you know, for, our, you know, for the colonies. And, and we celebrate it every year. It's a man-made mishteh. The Jews are just celebrating a mishteh of the victory over the Greeks. It's that simple. Now, some people turn this in to more than what it is. You know, wearing a, you know Christmas sweaters on Hanukkah and Hanukkah bushes that are really just a Christmas tree. I mean, they're they're. Have you seen this? I mean, they're mixing the holy with the profane. That I have an issue with. But as far as birthdays. If you look back through your scriptures, you see most of these people know how old they are. Yeah. How did they know? They kept track. Okay? And how they kept track, the traditions of how they kept track, it doesn't say. But we know they kept track. I would assume that when the day rolls around, you know, another mark goes on the wall somewhere, and maybe, just maybe, someone congratulated them on another mark on the wall. All right. All right. Go ahead. So the question is how to keep the Shabbat holy. I mean, I, I can answer this unless anyone else wants to, but it's, it's pretty simple. When you talk about work and you talk about making fire, when you talk about that verse in Exodus where it talks about making fire in all your dwellings, the verse before it mentions work twice. Because if you think about it, living 100 years ago and beyond, everything you, you did involving work required fire. The baker, the laundress, I mean, everything required fire. You know, the, the, the stonemason for heating tools and all, all kinds of stuff required, everything required fire. And so, you know, for work, no fire, no fire in your dwellings. It's meaning no work. 
But as far as heating your food, there are people, obviously we know, that sit in a cold dwelling and eat cold porridge on Shabbat every, every Sunday, or every Sunday, every Shabbat, right, every Saturday. But that's not what it says. It's a feast time. It's actually listed amongst the feast. So it's a joyous time. It's a time of relaxation and a time to celebrate being one, that, that date with the Father that we get every week. So I don't see, you know, I, I do, we do heat eggs. We eat eggs all the time because I live on a farm. Yeah, I'll eat eggs on Shabbat. I'll cook on Shabbat. We gather all the food before Shabbat. We'll have a fire on Shabbat. We'll gather all the wood before Shabbat. So I don't have to do that. You know, I, I've seen people, because I was really involved in survivalism and things like that, you know, a, a few years back before I lived off grid, because I was learning all these skills. And I saw people who could start a fire with a pair of sticks like that. You think it was work for them to start the fire? Nope. You think it was work for them to gather all the materials to start to make that fire? Yep. So what's the lesson there? Gather the materials before Shabbat. Where was, was the guy killed for starting a fire on Shabbat? He was killed for gathering the wood for the fire on Shabbat. It's the work involved. Gather first, then make your fire. It's not wrong. I mean, people, you know, today we have Bic lighters. It's not work for me to do that. Just like it wasn't work for these Aborigines and other people to start a fire with a pair of sticks like that. You know, it was a skill that they, they did very easily. Yes, you can have a glass of wine with lunch. Yes. Or two. And uh, I, ju I just, I just, I just want to add to that as well. You know, um, a lot of people ask the question, so how do I keep Shabbat? You know, um, of course, we have the instructions around not work, as, as Zach discussed. But for me to tell you exactly how to keep Shabbat is like me going into your marriage and telling you how to go on a date with your wife. <laughs> not a good idea. But some people who want to do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And we call that man-made tradition, and that's what the Pharisees wanted to do, and we've got many denominations trying to push that today. And so really, um, that's something, that, I mean, it's a family time, it's a joyous time, it's time where, you know, uh, uh, husbands and wives and husbands and uh, the kids and everyone, it's a joyous family time as well. And then getting to, with the Father, spending time in fellowship with the Father, with other people, you know, but, you know, don't worry too much about, oh, what am I not allowed to do? It's it's. Yeah, let the spirit let the spirit guide you. Yes, yes, and, and but of course we know, as I discussed, do not work. That's the, that's the primary thing. God just wants us to chill out and rest. You know, that's a good one. Right, yes. don't spend money on Shabbat. And, and we have, I'm not kidding you. There are Torah observant ministries who think it's okay to go out and eat on Shabbat, and I find that absolutely wrong. If you're going out to eat on Shabbat, you're paying someone to be your servant for the hour that you're there. I mean, it's as simple as that. You know, they're serving you. If you weren't there, they wouldn't be working. If we all as a community decide to stay home, they wouldn't be at the restaurant. Let's say that again. Yeah, but that, okay, I can love one another any day. But on Shabbat, I'm not, a, you know, to pay for a servant, right? So... Yeah, I'm not going to buy for I'm not going to go down that road. But yeah, it's it, it's Shabbat. You don't buy or sell. You don't have a male or female servant. Even your animals are not to work, it says. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you go to a sports event, you're paying for your your ticket, you're paying, you know, for the concessions. Uh, people are there working, the sports people are working, the people who manage the stadium are working. You're contributing to that work that's on a day of rest. A day that the Father wants to meet with you, not with you with the local sports team. And, and so again, you know, it's, it's this whole thing where they, they persecute Yeshua and said, oh, you work. And Yeshua did say, yes, I, I work as my Father works, but what kind of work does the Father and Yeshua do? Right, they bring life. And it's ministry oriented work. It's not secular, the kind of secular work that the Father tells us not to do. Right. So this is also, in a way, some people could say what we're doing today is work for some of us, you know, to 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 be here and all that it isn't, by the way. But you know, that's but that the point is is that, you know, if it brings life and it's ministry oriented, it exhausts the kingdom, it's not work. Okay. Yes, if I can add to that, um, I believe the father has shown to that A man is more important than a day. So if somebody is in desperate need on that day or needs to be ministered to or prayed for, the Father is saying that individual, that person is more important to him than the day, if I can put it in that way. But uh, do, going our own way and doing what we would do on any other normal day is what the Father is saying, no, set your focus away from everything that has keep, kept you entangled during the week and come and set your focus upon me so that I can revive you and refresh you and that I can reward you for what you have done during the week and to enable you to be able to do it again when the, the new day for the new week begins. And in that self, that intimacy with the Father, that drawing from Him and setting our focus upon Him and teaching our children to do that, therein is a great delight. And it delights the Father's heart for us to really turn our face away from that which is secular, that which is mundane, and setting our eyes and our heart and our entire lifestyle upon Him and celebrating Him and his life within us. Okay, well, just one more quick thing. Watch what, just real quick, if you get serious about Shabbat, watch how serious the Father gets about giving you blessings yes. for being so. Just just try it. Okay, wait, is going to be her, she had next? Yeah, so it's the same way where we live. Okay, if she wants to know, uh, she has young children, she's raising up to obey the commandments, and they have sports activities. What does she do when all the sports activities are going to be on Shabbat, especially when you get to the high school, you know, upper levels? Um, and that's the same way for us where we live. Okay, my kids are understanding that we're not participating in that. We either find things that they can participate in, or we won't participate. You know, I, we will we will forego that activity unless we can find something that does, takes place on another day. And that's just it is the way it is. And we we tell them, hey, listen, the world around us is going to ignore the commandments. But if we're going to expect to receive the blessings of his commandments, we have to obey. And I believe that your children, if you do that, will see that fruit and will at, at some point acknowledge the benefit of foregoing the things of the world, if that's what it takes. Yeah, yeah, she says that her children have stopped studying on Shabbat and they have seen the benefits, right? Yes. Yes, very good. I mean, they will see the benefits for that. Uh, he wants to know if we, if I ever got a rebuttal from Mr. Anderson. 
Um, I have talked to Mr. Anderson on chat a couple of times and I've invited him to come on my channel and uh, he said, well, he said a number of things, but he said, <laughs> but he said uh, basically no, um, he wouldn't come on my channel. We disagree on some things and, I, and I, I told him, you know, there are a lot of things we do agree on. Um, can we, you know, respectfully talk about the things we don't? And he wasn't interested, so I've asked him multiple times. Yeah, you have to feed your animals, you have to water your animals, and um, yeah, milk your animals on Shabbat. If you do not milk your animal, your cow on Shabbat, it will be in intense pain. You will be... Right, absolutely. You're not, right, you're not doing it for money. I mean, the commercial ones, I mean, I don't know what they do at that point. If, it, if I owned a commercial dairy farm, I would, all the money, a portion of my, one-seventh of all my money, I would donate away and give it away because you have to milk your animals on that day. Uh, if you don't, you're going to put your animals in intense pain. And, I, and it's not, it should be no farmer's intention to put their animal through any pain. Animals that come on my farm, they live very good lives. That's what I strive to do. Hmm? Till, till it's time to eat, but you know. <laughs> but we love our animals, we, we do. They're very important to us. Okay. So the question is, when the, the rapture happens, it's basically a one-day event. We get lifted up into the sky, and we see uh, the judgment below. And when, the question is, when do we get judged? And I don't believe we do. Um, it's those, that's, that's your judgment right there. That's your judgment. You know, and you've been found in the eternal book of life. You're not going to be judged by fire. Because at that point, it, see, it says the dead will raise as well. The dead who are in Messiah and who are not. It says the dead in Christ will rise first. That means the other people who aren't in Christ are going to rise also. They're going to rise, but they're going to stay, I believe, on the, on the actual ground. We're going to ride, they're going to ride, the dead in Christ will rise in the air, and then they will watch the judgment by fire. We will already be in the air meeting our Messiah. That's our judgment right there. You're going to be judged by the Lamb Book of Life, and if you're in it, you're up. If you're not, you're on the ground. And that's why you have those verses in Isaiah and in Revelation where it's wiping the tears away. And people often ask, do I have to fast on Yom Kippur? Because here's the deal. We're going to be looking down. For, if, if what I'm saying is true, it's just my opinion. If what I'm saying is true, and we're looking down on the death and destruction of all the people below, those whom we love, you know, who were not found to be righteous, it's going to be a very hard time for us. Because we're going to see the people we love, our parents, our children, who are being destroyed because they have openly rebelled and they have not believed. They have not had the faith. And so that's going to be a very hard... Are you going to feel like eating that day? Nope. You're not. You know, that's going to be the furthest thing from your mind. That's why it says when you come down, you, he wipes his, your, our tears away. Because we're crying. We're in deep pain. And when you're in deep pain, if you've ever lost someone who's very close to you... I've, you've lost your appetite. So you're, gonna, you're not going to be eating that day. So when we do fast on Yom Kippur, you to reflect on that future time, that future judgment that's going to happen, where you're going to see the people who are judged, and it's going to be something of deep pain. Okay, that's my opinion. Yeah, I think that's when you give the account. Right, if you've repented, that's going to be the account. You know, it's about you and that relationship with the Father. Are you, if you're living a life of repentance, of constantly warring with the flesh, the very fact that you're warring with the flesh shows where your heart is. Because someone who's not warring with the flesh doesn't care. 
Right. Uh, yeah, so the question is, what is my opinion on, yeah, keep reminding me. Um, my question, the question is, what is my opinion on what PD was teaching this week, or this weekend, and because there's not a lot of Torah ministries in the United States talking about this. Um, I told PD upstairs earlier today that I said a lot of what he's uh, said has encouraged me, and um, going to take it to heart. And I actually work at a food bank. I volunteer at a food bank every Tuesday. And I have the opportunity to pray over a lot of people. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to take a lot of what he has said and I'm going to put into practice. And uh, there are some amazing people at that food pantry. Um, um, I, I don't know. Maybe there might be some differences, I guess. But, uh, you know, a lot of what he has talked about has been encouraging. And um, I think he's he presented that Deuteronomy 13 verse in a way that I had never seen it before. So, uh, you know, me and my wife talked about that when we, when I left here and, uh, you know, we'll talk about it again when I get home. Cause I thought that was really interesting, but yeah, I mean, I don't know why people aren't talking about it. I, I I'm of the opinion kind of that maybe the timing's not right. He's getting his people together and getting them ready. Um, but see, that's the thing, you know, now's the time. Now's the time where we got to get our people ready. And these signs and wonders need to start happening if the world's going to take us seriously, and if we're going to get the attention of the world and get the attention of our brother Judah, whom we love so much. You know, there's some people out there. You know, Stephen Anderson was mentioned. He didn't get he didn't get accepted to come into South Africa. I mean, he people like him have an intense hatred for my brother. You know, and we have a that's a problem for me. You know, because that is my brother Judah. You know, and so um, I don't know. I'm 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 really I've been really interested. I'm definitely when these videos get uh, edited and published, I'm gonna go back and watch them, and I'm gonna share them on my channel because I found a lot of encouragement by what he's taught this week. So good. Uh oh. Facebook. <laughs> Okay, so so the question was just give me just tell me if I'm right, but the question was if 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 the baptism doesn't yield the fruit that it's supposed to yield, do we need to get rebaptized? Is that it? No, it, it literally sounds like she's been baptized. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> I'm not completely sure if she's talking about her own baptism or someone else's baptism. Uh, if she's talking about, she's talking about, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's two things that she might be asking. The first might be, you know, if I'm not baptized correctly, can I baptize someone else? Uh, you know, I, th I think that, you know, we, we need to be walking in that place. I mean, baptism is something that needs to happen early on our walk. When we look at the lives of, the disciples and the examples in, in the book of Acts with the eunuch and many others, we see that baptism was a, oh, you decided and there you go. There's none of this thing that we see in many churches where you have to wait three months for the next baptism service for it to happen. It's just not, it's just not, it's just not in there. The word was like, okay, you believe, boom, where can I find some water kind of thing, you know? And okay, so from that case, I think that yes, we need to be baptized and in fellowship with Messiah to be you know, to be to be helping in the baptism, I think baptizing someone else, of course. Um, I, I'm not sure if that answered her question. Uh, um, I think if she if she means that that person wasn't transformed and renewed 
okay. um, mm. in their walk with Elohim mm. and following in Yeshua's footsteps. It's very important um, that we must remember these are the things that we do in obedience, but then we need to be discipled or we need right. to be equipped. We need to, um, uh, and that is why the community is so important. And that is why there are people that need to also stand up as much as we want um, as much as the healings and the signs and the wonders which we have experienced also within the communities um, are happening and taking place, what is very important too is the equipping of the saints. It is, um, we see it with Yeshua, how he equipped um, his Talmidim, his disciples, and for me, that is most important within a community of believers following and walking in Torah, that they do have men and women that are there that will take them by the hand, so to speak, and walk with them and guide them continuously and imparting the importance or the, 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 the scriptures into their lives and leading them through a time of deliverance and emotional healing and equipping and understanding uh, the word and how they should walk it out. Otherwise, uh, they become uh, like a lone island or an island on their own, and they are isolated. And in, in, in that, there is no growth. The, the growth is within a community when we are in close combat with one another as well, in order that the fruit of the Spirit can come forth. Because within a community of believers or within the home, that is where we are severely tested on are we being transformed? Are we being renewed by the renewal of the mind? Are we really doing what the word tells us to do? And if I have an interaction with my brothers and my sisters for a long period of time, then truly they will see if the fruit is evident in my life of love and joy and long-suffering and patience and kindness and meekness and self-control. And that is something that we need to understand. And there are very few workers in the vineyard I have experienced that will take somebody by the hand and will walk it out with them in order that they will grow in faith, that they will come to maturity and be perfect as Yeshua is perfect. Because that word um, is actually the word that says be mature. Put away childish and foolish things. Now, how can you put away these childish and foolish things if you do not have the people that are walking it out and you can follow the example? The Talmudim, the disciples of Yeshua, saw Yeshua walking it out as his disciple and the crowds amongst him. And for me, that is, of, 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 that is, that is a heart of a community in order to not just... Pray for people and leave them where they are at. But then you also have to yield yourself to correction, direction, and discipline within the community or within the home. I'm literally the person in the family right now. How did you get, or rather, how, how did the, the spreading... <laughs> of the Torah happened in your family? I, I don't know if maybe it started with you or maybe it started with your husband, but how did, how did that like disseminate to everyone else? And did it disseminate rather? Um, did everybody hear that question? Um, um, well, for me, um, it's consistency. 
it means that whatever I have found within the word and whatever I have discovered and what the Father has commanded and instructed me out of the root of love and long-suffering and patience and kindness and much prayer and intercession and trusting the Father, I have to walk it out even to this day. And if they seeing me being consistent in my walk, doing what the Torah commands and instructs, and bringing, I always use this example of when law and grace comes together, you have the perfect pattern of Elohim, the perfect pattern of how he wants us to live. So out of that root of love, indeed, I had to walk it out. And I was um, actually the first person in my household, and very quickly after that, my eldest son, in, uh, in, not through my actions or anything that I had heard, but how the Father had come through his Holy Spirit and revealed the same truth to him, um, as being my husband had not discovered this, but I had to have the patience and the love and the understanding to walk it out and to, to com always present it to him. I used to do Shabbat, if you want to know. I used to do it before he came home from the office. I used to do the prayers on Shabbat. I used to the traditions, if we can put it that way. I, but I helped the day. I was steadfast in my walk in keeping the day and not enforcing it upon him and honoring what the Father commands within his word and honoring my husband in that, not going out, setting my focus upon the Father, having intimacy with the Father, studying the word, until I felt in my heart that the Father was saying, present this to your husband. And I did, and I asked him, can we keep Shabbat? And at that time, he said, yes. So it's, it's something that you, you have to walk continuously and be consistent. I don't know if that answers your question, because if you're going to... Uh, be hopping around and like this and one day keeping Shabbat and not keeping Shabbat and keeping the feast and then not keeping the feast and say, okay, well, but, but for the sake of peace in this family, I'm going to do Christmas and do tabernacles and the feast. It's not going to work. You have to keep in your walk solid, remain in your walk and be consistent. Don't change. Don't change. Don't fall about. Just be consistent and out of the root of love, that will come forth because love conquers all things. Right. Okay. The question is the Trinity, the Father says that he has a wife and as his people, and then we have the Son who has a wife and it's his people. How do in my, in my opinion, how is that related? So in my opinion, I don't think it should be in the Trinity discussion at all. Um, my, the way I see it is when he says he describes a wife and we see the blood being put on the people, okay, he's just showing you in the best way, human way, he can show you how much, he means, how much we mean to him. He also calls Israel his firstborn son. Well, what is it? Is it the wife or the firstborn son? What he's showing you is that, because to a family, a, a human father, the most important things in his life are his family, his wife, his children, 
And so he calls us his children. He calls us his son, his firstborn. He calls us his wife, his bride. He's using these analogies as a way to say, there's nothing more important in this world but you, my creation. I've created you, I created the animals, but you, I made in my image. You are special. And that goes against everything the world will tell you, that you're not special, okay? So eliminate the Trinity argument for a second. In terms of the son and his bride and the father and his bride, these are just terms that they use to show the importance of us being made in his image. Does that make more sense? Okay, so the Trinity, that's a whole other topic. Um, I have videos on that, go watch them. <laughs> okay, we, what's that? We have one way back here, can we get to that one? Let me just, let me elaborate. So basically his thing is, you know, some of the meanings of the words that we're missing. And I talked about before in my uh, one of my talks about how it happens when we first discover Torah, we begin learning the Hebrew is one of those things. We begin to learn the meanings of the words. So it's not really about learning Hebrew, it's about learning the meaning behind the words covenant. You know, the Hebrew words covenant, how it's spelled, the, the words or the letters put together to make up the words have special meaning. And so we lose a lot of that because we don't study it. So when I tell people, hey, listen, are you learning Hebrew? I ask them, are you learning Hebrew? Or, you know, and a lot of people are, the most amazing part about that learning journey is about the meanings of the words, the meanings of the letters, and how they together make up the words that are so special to us, like covenant and seed. I mean, you could, you could really teach an hour on the meaning of seed. Because everything in the planet, everything on the world, plants, animals, it all starts with a sperm and an egg. Everything. And so I mean, there's so much meaning behind all these words. And so if you haven't began to study, let me just elaborate just a little by saying if you haven't started to study the Hebrew words and the meanings of the letters and how it makes up these Hebrew words, there's a lot of in-depth you know, stuff you can learn by that. And it just emphasizes the meanings of these things that the Father you know, gives his people, the, the things he calls his children, uh, whether it be firstborn son or whether it be a bride or a wife or how he's married unto us. My wife did an amazing study just on her own on womb and the water of the womb. Amazing. So much meaning behind that, those Hebrew letters and Hebrew words. You could spend days, weeks, months studying that and just get so much meaning out of it. So if you haven't done that, I really encourage you to do so. All right. So the question was, you know, um, she, she's, she's here and she's new and she kind of wants to go home to her parents and be like, father, like dad, earthly father, I, I got all this and uh, I really want to follow this, but what do I do about this? How do, and she's asking, how, do, how does she go about um, doing that with her father? You know, it's a good question. I think it's really what you need to be focusing on right now where you're at is, is really getting down into the scriptures and understanding what you're getting yourself into in a way, understanding what, what, the, what, we're, what we've been talking about. Because it's one thing to hear someone else teach it, but you don't really want to go on what me or Zach or Antoinette's been saying. You want to go and really dig into it for your own and make it your own and then have something to say, truly. You, you have that truth in you. So when someone asks of you, what is this hope that is within you, then you'll be able to tell them because you've studied it out on your own and you know what you're talking about. Now, how do you get them to ask about that hope? 
you become Yeshua. You become him. You, you get that truth within you and you start walking. You will start walking like him if you, that's why these people love the knowledge and all that because they're learning about God. You can, God gave us a whole Bible about him. It's not like he doesn't want us, he, want, he wants to introduce himself to us. You know, he's not hiding, you know. And so, you know, we really just, I would just advise you to, you know, dig in there and, and get with God and intimacy, you know, keep it, start keeping a Shabbat maybe or something and, and just um, spend time with him there and, you know, become Yeshua. And then you're, don't, don't go to your parents. Well, look, I'll, I'll tell you to pray about, I don't know where they're at, right? It depends. But um, you, you really want them to be coming to you and asking you about the things that you're doing and then being able to sit down and calmly explain to them instead of going up to them and being like, you're wrong and I'm right. You know, because that's not the way that Yeshua went about it. You know, he, he loved on people. And then from that place when the fruit show, they came and they're like, what does this hope tell me about this? Yes. Right. Yeah. So she said, um, basically, I talked about just about milk and then solid food. And yeah, and she asked, should we get to solid food first? Yes. So I would say yes. But at the same time, don't let that stop you from from really just well be that light. You know, don't feel like you need to get maturity or something first before you can pray for your dad, you know, or whatever cases. Pleasure. Thank you for asking. But once again, out of that root of love, um, uh, the thing is to to um, to set your eyes on the word of Elohim and live it up. Be the living, walking, declaring the word. Be be that. You know, it's like being that fragrance, that very presence of the of the Holy Spirit within within your home and being as as PD said. Following in the footsteps of Yeshua, what would Yeshua do? What would he do? How, 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 if you follow him, oh, and do follow him, then he will lead you to all of these things which he says is the weightier matters of the law, the, the compassion and the love uh, that you will pour out upon them. And once again, being consistent in your walk and in, in, how, how would you keep Shabbat? As Pidi says, you must start keeping Shabbat by studying the Word, by staying uh, in your home and studying the Word and focusing on Him and having intimacy with Him. And that example, I'm sure that, you, that your parents will look at you and see the transformation, the renewal, the, the joy in your life, the blessing in your life, because it will show. The Father will bless you in your obedience. He will bless you. Yeah, I think Antoinette can also add. But, um, you know, it, it really depends on that. Look, I, I do believe in one baptism. I do believe there's one, but that baptism needs to be true. And what I mean by that is that many times baptism has been watered down to, an, like I've mentioned, an initiation into a church where the person being baptized never repented. I've heard of atheists who went into baptism as an atheist and came out an atheist, out of the baptism as an atheist. They literally went through the baptism because they want to fit into a church. That is happening, unfortunately. And so 
you know, was the Holy Spirit involved in that? If, if, it, if, in, if that was the case, and I mean, there's no transformation, there's no repentance that's, that is required to go along with baptism. I mean, in the scriptures, we see, like with the eunuch, he's like, oh, where, he was so like, where can I find some water I need, you know, to get baptized? Is it possible for me to get baptized? See, that was the heart where he was at when he wanted this. And so that's really the heart where we need to be and when we need to understand that baptism is an incredibly serious thing. Before the Father, we're making, we're dying to ourselves, we're getting raised with Him and, um, and unto a new creation. And there needs to be true repentance. And so that needs to take place. Okay, that is essential. So if someone gets baptized with that understanding, and yet, as, as I mentioned, the enemy will probably, well, he will try and come and he will try and get you to backslide and, and go back to your own life. You know, um, I think if that baptism was indeed true, then I wouldn't, uh, I think that they just need to return to the Father, you know. They just need to come back to him in repentance. I don't think they necessarily need to get baptized again. I don't know what you think about it, Antoinette, um, but uh, yes. No, well, I think that will take uh, quite a bit of time. So, uh, uh, you know, if we want to speak about the mikvah, I think we need to just do a teaching on the mikvah so that we, we know where we're coming from to be able to know exactly what the mikvah, as you say, when on Yom Kippur you go because you've prepared yourself. Uh, obviously, uh, if I understand you correctly, then um, from um, the time of, of Shavuot, that entire time until uh, Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, there's a period of time of preparation, of coming before the Father day by day, and um, uh, just uh, once again surrendering yourself and yielding yourself to the Father in order that He can, he can truly just um, reveal to you areas in your life that is not pleasing to Him. Now, you can do that at any time. I know people will reason and say, why? Why do I have to wait for a 50-day period from Shavuot, sorry, 50 days, until um, uh, the Feast of, of, of Trumpets? But uh, the Father gives us time and time and time again to come to Him in order that He can shine the light of His glory, He can shine the light of truth through His Word within our hearts in order that we can see what is hidden in our hearts. And then he takes us, you know, from the Feast of, of, of Trumpets, and then we have that time again until Yom Kippur, where you say, then you do the mikvah. And that is again a period of, of, of uh, repentance, if I'm, if I'm correct in saying that, in my understanding, and a time of once again yielding ourselves to him in an in-depth way. It is, it is like going deeper and deeper and deeper in your understanding of his ways and your walk with him and becoming more and more set apart. Now we know um, salvation is coming to Yeshua, recognizing that I'm a sinner, repenting of my sins and laying it before the Father and being born again of the spirit man and then saying, in obedience I go and I am go through the, the immersion. And um, if we look at the, the last chapter of the book of Matthew, it's so wonderful for me. And we look at one of the translations, I think it's a complete Jewish Bible that says, um, go therefore and be immersed in the reality of the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit. So that means in who he is, who, what his heart is, who Yeshua is, and, and all of these, uh, you know, to, to look at that in our walk with him.
So that is what is that, if I understand it correctly, this, you can correct me, is that that is sanctification. That is really becoming more and more and more like our Redeemer, becoming more like uh, into the Father heart and more like Him. And then, as you say, Yom Kippur is the, is the mikveh. And, and going and saying, as you say, you're washing, you're coming before the Father and you're saying, wash me and cleanse me. So we need to go through that, that entire walk with him until and then doing the mikvah. But the mikvah is something, I don't know, uh, uh, that, that we really, really need to, to do a teaching so that you can understand that correctly of how to go through that purification continuously before yeah, the Father, yes. because we, we, can, we can look at many, many, many um, examples of, of going into the mikvah. Yes, so the, I think just to, just to the, the mikvah is different from the baptism yes. and yeah. unto Yeshua. There's yeah. a difference. Yeshua wasn't, had, he had a baptism once, okay? He wasn't yes. baptized over and over and over again to, you know. Um, the mikvah is a total different instruction. Yeah, okay. Okay, we're going to do three more questions. All right, well, I saw them right there. One, two, three. All right, that's it. It was quick. So um, we'll go with you. Okay. Go ahead and repeat it. Well, I was going to say, he's, we're just repeating the question. He's talking about that Peter had a question. There's a question of him being clean, and he said, you are clean by my word, and then but I still have to wash your feet. So the way I see that is actually a really good training. I mean, there's lots of people who have opinions on that, but is showing them that the, if you're going to be a true leader, you're going to be a servant first. And so he's giving it, it's leading by example. And that's, a, that's the most, in the Middle East, that's the most, that's the biggest example you can give by washing someone's feet. Something that's the most dirtiest part of the body compared, you know, with, with how they see it. So... Um, that's how I view that. But if you have other thoughts, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not. Well, I don't know if you were kind of getting at, at this, but it's not a. I don't think he was meaning to teach that, um, uh, you know, that we cannot become unclean anymore. Because the, the reality of the matter is, you can still become unclean. Um, yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. So I hope that helps. Go ahead and repeat what you just said. Uh, sorry. What did you just say? I, I was, to me, the, the watching of the feet, he was saying, I need to wash your walk, which yeah. is really what this whole right. thing is about. Right. But I just, um, look, I'm new to Torah. So, you know, for me, uh, in a very real sense, so, you know, in terms of mikvahs and things, although I have done that once, um, it's not something that I would have thought we need to regularly do every year because he's saying, I've already washed you with the word that I've spoken over you, but yes, I'm, you better let me deal with your, your feet. You know, he's, he's given us his cleanness by grace, but the whole idea of putting on Torah, you know, is, is to walk in the but light. But understand, like in the light. Paul makes one of the listings of things that prevents you from getting into the kingdom, Paul says is uncleanness. Obviously murderers, adulterers, yeah. idolaters, all those are listed, but he says one of them is uncleanness. That's now pretty important when that's on the list of things that prevent you from the kingdom. But it's not the mikvah, is it, that's going to do that for you. It's actually whether you let him wash your heart. Well, your mean, well how do you compare that with murder and, and stealing and all of the other things that he equates there? Because it's on the list. 
yeah. uncleanness. So it's things like that that, I mean, we have to investigate further because I really believe that these things are still valid today. When it comes to uncleanness, if someone sits down at a ham sandwich, even though he knows better that the father is in his word, it's not someone who sins unknowingly. I'm talking about someone who sits down in a ham sandwich who doesn't care. I've heard this whole Torah thing. I'm not buying it. Mm. I'm going to eat my ham sandwich. To that, that's uncleanness. You're now you've defiled yourself. I agree. Yeah. So, but I mean, there's other things like that too. All you know, m most of the unclean, you know, be wash and be unclean until even. These are things that you do before you come before the Father. You don't present yours a protocol. Again, you know, Rico Cortez has great teachings on this as well. Has a whole DVD series on these, but. There's a protocol in coming before the Father and doing so in a clean manner. I think that's still important today. And just my opinion, in my prayer life, there's many times where I make sure I'm in a state of cleanness before I get down on my knees and I come before the Father. Because it's a, there's a protocol. Even Isaiah, he said, my lips are unclean. I'm not even supposed to, I can't even, I can't even speak in your presence because my lips are unclean. Well, he's, and, and, and his lips then were purified. Because the father, you know, acknowledged his uncleanness and burned it out of him. So this stuff is very important. And, you know, it all bears more investigation. Um, and, and some of that stuff's achievable today. Some of it's not. So I think it just bears out more study. And this is part of the growing pains we have as a people trying to figure this all out, right? And it can be fun even. You know, it can be fun even, but you know, it, it's something that we, we figure it out. We try to do so in love and we compare notes and, and we try our best to be, and see, that's the thing. He's looking down and he says, my people are trying their best to figure this out. That's how I know they're my people. I, I got two more questions we're gonna go to. And then if you have other questions, we will be here. Or he will be here or I will be here. We'll figure it all out. Okay, <laughs> who was the other person? Be honest now. I know what you were one. Who was the other one? All right. Yeah, you go ahead. All right. So the question is, and this is one that comes up a lot, and even in atheistic circles, too, is if you want me to trust in a father, how can we trust in a father that allows bad things to happen to innocent people, including children? And my answer is that there are no good people. Okay. We're, we live in a world of sin. It's a fallen world. And that's, that's the result of the fall. This is the curse that humanity lives under. But see, the Father's intention is to bring us out of that curse. Okay? So my response would be to someone, how can I serve a father who, when, who's, who's a good father, would protect his children, and all these things are happening to innocent people? That's because we live in a cursed world, and the Father is trying to bring us out of that cursed world. Let me show you how he's trying to do that. Okay? And then we share the gospel. Yeah, and and he does he does. I mean, he, he says, "I'm giving you, I'm laying before you blessing and curse, life and death. Choose life, you know." And so he does give humanity this option of choosing life over death, and it is our choice. Choice has been given to us as a gift by the Father because love gives a choice. Love is a choice. You can't if if God made us like little robots who had to love Him. That's not love. Okay, if you had to enter a marriage covenant and you had to do it and you've got no choice, even though you don't like the person, it's not love. Love is a choice. God gave us that choice. And he says, choose life. He made us in his image. He has free will. And so do we. All right. So is, are, you, are you okay with that then? Yeah. Well, okay. So she also, what about fellow believers, people who do say they follow Yahweh? So, I mean... 
you know, it's, it's quite interesting when, in praying for the sick, a lot of the times we, uh, I've come to atheists or, you know, my, even my workplace this year who I've prayed for and they got healed like that because God wants to show them a sign, right? But then I've come to a lot of believers and pray for the same sickness or whatever and then the sickness just doesn't leave as easily as it did for the atheist. And then when we ask the question why, it's quite simple. The believer had had something, if you start digging in their heart, you very quickly find something that has been causing the sickness to come upon them. Once you come into the knowledge of the truth, there's a greater um, responsibility to continue in the truth and continue choosing life. Just because you say, I believe in Yeshua, doesn't necessarily mean you keep the commandments. And do you have bitterness in your heart? Do you have hatred in your heart? You know, there's a lot of things that come into play, which is not in the picture usually, which is not, you can't just see it on people always. But a lot of the bad stuff that do happen to us is because of our, is because we make bad decisions as well. Not everything is, of course. Um, there's a fine line. There's also, we also need to understand we do live in a fallen world where the enemy also, we are, we are up against an enemy as well, which uh, is a ruler of this world. And again, this is why I've been talking about this authority thing so much is because by taking up this authority, we can, we can minister, um, the Father's will if we know and continue in His will into this world and we can bring freedom through that. That's why we have to pray for healing or pray for anything like that. Um, because the Father wants to bring that restoration. Okay. I don't know if that answers your question. There, there was a, a family, real quick, there was a family inside, uh, nearby in America recently. They just came back from Sukkot. Last Sukkot. And I don't know, you guys heard this story. I mean, it went around everywhere. They came home and the person that was in charge of overseeing their house shot and killed the wife of the family who was coming home from Sukkot, you know, and she died instantly. And you wonder why things like that happen, especially after a most joyous time. They had a really good time at Sukkot and, and something like that. And it shakes the entire body. I mean, like you, most of you have heard of this. And so how, why does that happen? These people just spent a whole week praising their, their creator and, and during his appointed times. And again, it's, it's this cursed world we live in. And the Father's trying to bring us out of that curse, especially right now. I mean, you remember my number one evidence of that, of bringing us out of this curse is sitting right here in this room. We're people who have gathered all over a nation, you know, and, and we're coming together to, to learn and to seek and obey. That's... That's him trying to pull us out of this curse. So go out and tell people, say, hey, listen, the curse is going to end. You know, we, we want to bring you, he wants to bring you out. The Father's trying to bring you out. He's doing, he's working it right now. You know, come, join it. The curse is going to end. Um, can, I, can I bring something from a different angle? Um, in my own walk with the Father, there has been many struggles and battles and even having to uh, face to the point of, of maybe going to die. But my question is, do I love him just for what he does for me? Or do I love him for what he did for me? Because when I came to Yeshua, he gave me life eternally. And my heart is not set upon the things of this world and the fallenness of man and the frailty of man. My heart is set upon the everlasting life that I will have with him and the joy of my salvation in knowing him. So I love him despite 
of all these challenges and the things that I have to face day to day by day. I love him. And I'm reminded of the scripture in Deuteronomy where he says, I led you these 40 years through the wilderness to test you if your heart was set upon me. So my testing lies, yes, I live in a fallen world. Man is evil above all things, the scripture says. There is no good in man. And we see that day by day by day. So my test for myself is, is my heart upon him for what he's already done for me? Or is it always set upon him doing everything for me that, that, that just brings joy, joy, joy continuously? I love him for who he is. I love him for who he is. And despite what happens to me, like Job, he says, the Lord has given and the Lord is taken away. Blessed is the name of the Most High. He has given, he's taken away. Job was deprived of everything that was a treasure to his heart. But when we look at the last chapter of Job, we see the Father blessed him exceedingly abundantly what he ever could think, imagine, pray, or hope for. My life is in him because of his great love for me and what he did in his son, Yeshua. And no matter what happens, and I can tell you in this day, when my son had an accident three weeks ago, and I stood next to that bedside, I had to say, Father, I release him. I put him in the, on the altar. If you want to take him now, take him. But just that his soul will be saved because eternal life is what we are looking for. The joy, the hope in eternity when we will be with him and there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. But my testimony is this. I have overcome him, Hasatan, through the word of my testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And this is what I, I hope and trust that, that maybe it will answer your question, that to say my love for him is such that it goes beyond the suffering temporarily that we have in this world or the evil of this world. So let us be filled with that love today and let us take that love to a broken world. Let us take that love of what Yeshua did for us to a people who are sinful and show them the way that they can live according to his instructions so that the blessed hope remains that we will have eternal life with him in the new Yerushalayim. Praise be to his name. All right, we're just gonna pray. Haba, again, thank you so much for this conference, an amazing event you've put together. It's all been of your hand. It's just gone off without a hitch. We were talking earlier and we just praise you for that, how you brought, brought everything together and uh, things have worked out. You even brought rain. And so we praise you for that. We ask you to continue the rain and to continue the growth of, the, of your body here on the soil of South Africa. And so, Father, uh, just let everyone be encouraged as they go home. Give safe travels to everyone. Again, thank you so much for making this such a blessing to so many people. We love you. We 